Hello, and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we will be reading and discussing Liu Shishin's Death's End, the third and final part of Remembrance Earth's Past series. This is season five, episode five, Fate's Choice, covering the second half of part three and all of part four. We previously talked about the three-body problem and the dark forest and have hosts with varying levels of knowledge of the book and the series. My name is Dan, and I've read the entire series. This is Tim, and I've only read up to the current week's reading. This is Amin, and I have also read up to the current week's reading, and also along with Dan and Talia, and sometimes a special guest, uh, I co-host the Rehydrate Spoiler Cast, where the people who have read the entire series spoiled these sections by talking about the implications going forward. Um, on last week's episode, uh, we talked a lot about the fairy tales and some a lot of speculation and assumptions about what they might mean. So. For people who've read the books, you should go back and listen to that. Or if you have not finished and you're like Tim, once this is all over, you should go back and check that out. So that's season five, episode four, the spoiler cast. It, it's really illuminating. Yeah. And I'll say like, as a person who has read the books, I got a lot of good insight from uh, both Priya and Antalya about their kind of takes on some of the interpretations of the fairy tales. So I definitely recommend that episode uh, to go back and listen to. And thanks again to them for bringing those points up also in news about the show so you know we're almost we're getting close to the end here about of uh remembers Earth's past so i've been putting together some thoughts and ideas for what the next season is going to look like so we mentioned before we're going to have simultaneous seasons and one of the seasons we're going to be running is that we'll be covering the foundation trilogy by isaac asimov and it should coincide with the apple tv show that's starting in about september but it's only be covering the books not covering the actual show because I don't know how they're we haven't read the entire trilogy only read the first part so I don't know how they're going to break up the book or the the show and the books and whatever so I'm just going to stick to the book format for now and we'll have more details coming on that soon but it should kind of pick up almost immediately after we're done with this series okay so let's go into the summary for this episode and <laughs> a note this is the longest of reading section of any of the shows so far. So there's a lot here. So bear with us. While the IDC all but gives up hope on deciphering the further meaning of the fairy tales, Chengxin and A.A. make a breakthrough after seeing their origami boat driven by a small piece of soap, curvature of propulsion, the means of accelerating a ship to light speed by folding space and pulling it ahead. Newly inspired, the IDC gets back to work, and the next chance discovery is the meaning of Harershigen Moshigen. It is thought to be a combination of the places in Norway, the mountain Helsingen, and the island Moskin. They travel there and investigate a maelstrom that has been written about centuries ago by Edgar Allan Poe. They theorize that the inescapable nature of the maelstrom once you've crossed the threshold is meant to represent a black hole. This coupled with the idea of the constant speed needed for the umbrella to work is supposed to represent the speed of light to come up with the idea for the Black Domain project. The Black Domain project would present a cosmic safety notice by enveloping the solar system in a reduced light speed black hole. This would present the solar system as non-dangerous since it could not be observed. However, others, including Chengxin and A.A., considered to be a prison from which humanity could never escape. The other plan put under consideration is the development of light speed ships, given the realization of curvature propulsion. But this plan quickly loses favor due to two major events. The first incident is a false alarm that is triggered to alert the population of an incoming dark forest strike. Humanity is sent into wild-scale panic, and those who have the means, without regard for safety of others, launch their personal spacecrafts into space, killing thousands. 
The second incident is what triggered the false alarm, the fact that trails are left from ships that utilize curvature propulsion, broadcasting danger of the civilization even more. The last plan is the continuation of the bunker project, a plan to develop large cities in space that would be shielded from the explosion of the sun. A scale test is done of the bunker project where Chung Shin encounters Thomas Wade once again. He urges her to give him control of the company to develop light lead ships, a task that Chung Shin would not have the temperament to complete given that it is banned. After consideration, she agrees under the condition that she has the option to, re- to reassume control if there's any threat to humanity. Wade reluctantly agrees, and Chung Shin and A.A. enter hibernation. Sixty years later, Chung Shin is awakened from hibernation by Cao Bin, a former swordholder candidate. Upon awakening, she is astonished to realize that she is aboard an enormous cylindrical space city. Cao Bin takes her on a tour of the other space cities in the area, ranging from metropolitan to extremely poor, and even an abandoned city that's built around a manufactured black hole. She finally arrives at the space city run by her company and finds it under blockade. She meets back up with Wade to see a small-scale working experiment of curvature propulsion. Given the fact that the technology is outlawed, Wade has assembled a militarized force equipped with antimatter bullets capable of destroying the space city. Chung Shin is horrified by the development and is almost surprised when Wade keeps his promise to her and hands control back over as she shuts down and disarms the soldiers. Wade is tried, convicted, and executed for his crimes against humanity, while Chung Shin and A.A. take their ship halo to jupiter to re-enter hibernation until such time that the dark forest strike hits the sun and they're able to see humanity hopefully prosper and live in the happiness in the era after the sun has been destroyed and humanity er emerges from its bunkers we'll just start jumping into some of the points of the episode so first thing i had was i thought it was pretty interesting how written literature had pretty much disappeared from more of a century ago. And like now it's like all just like images. And that's sort of kind of happening in our current age. Like not a lot of people read books like myself. I'm well, I'm even though I'm reading books here, I'm reading them on ebooks. You know, I think people were kind of worried about when ebooks started to become a thing that, you know, old paper books were going to go away. Um, but now it's like people mostly consume uh, video content, you know, YouTube and TikTok and that kind of stuff. Um, so it seems like a kind of a commentary on, yeah, maybe as Lisa Shin, the author, you know, kind of lamenting the the downfall of of people reading literature. I don't know. Did you guys read it that way? Yeah, I, I agree with you that he's. I think it's just a small point he's making about how humanity has uh, has completely changed. Um, sort of. Ex- I think he's sort of continuing the extrapolation from um, you know, the the deterrence era humans. Um, even though it seems like we've reverted somewhat back from the completely feminized culture or so of that of uh the deterrence era, which is still kind of a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's it's honestly a little surprising to me that he does make this point here because he does like talk about how like humanity has sort of reverted back in some ways. Um, people aren't wearing uh, basically TikTok clothes or something. Yeah, he seems to you know intimate that uh, yeah humanity has kind of like I don't know gone a, a little retro. The fact that narrative literature you know doesn't exist anymore is still a little is, is a little surprising to me. You'd think that would be like one of the things that humanity would maybe try to again if they were going through this sort of like retro rediscovery phase would try to bring back. But apparently not the case. So if you were concerned about the course of humanity and like how media and all that like sort of changes our brains and it destroys our attention spans and this like reading, you know, like the written word is the thing that's like most oft cited as like Yeah, it's like the and and anti-intellectualism of the current generation never reads anymore, right? Right. 
yeah, doesn't yeah. read anymore and can't pay attention to anything and needs constant stimulus. So, and I also wonder how much of it is just a production issue. So, if you're, well, I'm going to take this literally, but if you're printing books, distributing them across the universe is probably a lot harder than sending a packet with some images in it. Yeah, so, and they talk about before like how paper is like so. Yeah. It's so so like uh, novel and ancient, and like no one has actual paper anymore. <laughs> well, I would never expect them to even have books, you know, paper books anymore, but more like ebook. Right. Do um, you know, news stories exist or articles or anymore? Yeah, they talk a lot about like the information overload age. You know, where like they, you know, when a big like when the when the false alert alert happens, like they're just like bombarded with like uh like information windows that are just like random videos and right. like they have like a hard time to kind of deciphering it and there's no like guardian.uk <laughs> article right that they're reading or whatever to actually like see what the actual what's actually happening it's always just like they have to decipher all these different images that are coming at them yeah it's, it could be more of a point about um not the type of the way we're receiving information, but the curation of it, um, it's sort of the extreme yeah. end of there being, yeah, like no curation and no source of truth for anything. You can get a zillion conflicting images at once, and I can see how that would mess with people's heads. Yeah. Because <laughs> we see it, you know, <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think it's more of a social commentary, like any kind of just threw it in there. And like, it, it's been a common theme, like the, you, we can see it kind of progressing, you know, throughout the series. So I just thought it's interesting they... He brought it back up here specifically. The next thing that I thought he he brought his personal experience into uh, when describing the story was the the situation when they're on the during the false alert and the they encounter the school children uh, on the launch pad and AA kind of gives them a tech job interview on the spot, like asking them like brain teaser questions to like let them into the the ship. And I was like, as a person who's gone through tech interviews and you know given tech interviews, uh, that is like kind of the worst kind of behavior of tech tech interviews like that, I, that you know i think i don't think anyone likes those things unless they study them or memorize them right. um but i've definitely encountered them and i hated them and so it just re really reminded me of that and i was like that has to be like leadership going through tech interviews to to put put those questions in there maybe he likes them i don't know tim you're also at yeah you know, have done, done a bunch of tech interviews have you encountered those kind of questions yeah, well, I would hate that to be, you know, for that to be my uh, life and death. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, determiner. Yeah, just leave the stupid kids behind. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess it seems, you know, like maybe it was just uh, AA's, you know, idea, like just to at least to like resolve this on the spot. You know, it's like how a lot of tech interviews go. If you can't really like, you have no process of uh, holistically um, evaluating this person in any sort of humanist way. You're just going to revert to, we just need to screen out people. So we're going to do it with, I mean, basically you're just screening out like who are the bad test takers rather than who is like right. qualified or, <laughs> you know, to be on the ship, which obviously in this case, everybody's qualified to be in the ship. It's just the, I mean, it's, it's, it's one in a kind of a long line of, you know, in this series where he is putting these, um, hypothetical situations in front of the characters um mm. forcing them to make the hard decision so i'm not really sure what the whole like you know point of this part you know was in that it, like it's again it just seems to be a common thing do you mean the 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 job interview specifically part or i mean like the the false alert section in general well this 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 one little scenario you know oh, this I one see. particular scenario like it doesn't go anywhere really it's just like it's not like these kids go on to become characters or anything like that you know and yeah, like, yeah it's not part of the plot he just 
can't seem to resist putting the <laughs> hard decision hypothetical, you know, wherever you can in the story. Yeah. I think the whole um, false alarm seems to be the the apex of him, his criticizing of humanity for being, you know, panicky, panicky and flighty, you know, humanity in general just being this kind of like panicky, flighty race. Um, and also with some class, uh, some like class commentary in there as well. Yeah, I thought that the section was was very interesting because of that. Yeah, it's like kind of the confluence of a bunch of events, like humanity kind of being, uh, yeah, easily scared by new technology, and then also like we've seen that before of you know kind of going against like the rich the richer class, like the the class warfare kind of aspect. But this really like uh, solidified it into like one big event, right, where the rich people get to are able to get to their personal spacecrafts. And then they just like disintegrate the people without regard for their safety, just so they can get safe and get out of the, you know, get off the planet in hopes that, in hopes to save themselves, even though there's not really hope anyway, uh, because they wouldn't be able to get far enough if the photoid really did come there and destroyed that sun at that time. Yeah, I thought the the undertones there, or not even undertones, but like the the, the themes of of that the, of that thing was pretty interesting. And then the fact that based off of that event happening, that humanity then decides like one of the reasons they decide against light speed uh, research is that that it's oh it's only going to be okay for the rich people, right? Rich people are only going to be only ones who afford this. It's kind of the same as the escapism in the past where only like the, the elite class or the rich people will be able to actually escape out of the solar system. So they just like ban it for the entire world. Yeah, it's easy to take this in a couple directions. Um, you could see it as obviously a critique of like runaway capitalism in that you're going to have this stratification. And then when time comes to have some, like there is no overarching like authority or anything to like actually organize an evacuation. So you have a bunch of rich people all on their own, all acting independently, all on their own accord with no real, you know, no one like taking responsibility, you know, like there's no responsibility happening. What, you know, like there's no overarching um, organization to do this in a responsible way. So yeah. you just have a bunch of yeah, rich assholes just inserting people as they in a, in a panicky flight. And you could also take that like, is, is that a is there also implicitly endorsement of a more authoritarian, overarching like government world government in there? In, in in this case, in a case like this, would you need something like that to like handle this? You know, a mass evacuation in a responsible manner. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's really possible, you know, given the limitations of of time, right? Because like the photoid, the photoid comes in, they have no idea how long it's going to take for it to actually get, you know, even after they detect it, like it's traveling at light speed, right? So, you know, how long is it going to take for that photoid to hit the sun? And then how long is it going to take the sun to actually destroy the earth? It's probably not possible to get all humanity off. And so we, we see like later right. on that it, it took 60 years to get most people onto the bunker worlds as it is like much less like an evacuation scenario where people just like mass panic and just don't don't have any regard for the safety of of, of others that aren't that aren't them you could see see this as a scenario where like yes there is no there's no time to organize a, you know a mass evacuation in any sort of equitable way so yes the only people who are going to be able to save themselves are rich assholes but is that the <laughs> only way we can like anybody would get off in time um, yeah is if you know everybody you know you could just sort of some people just have the capacity to respond immediately and yeah what 
what their plan is from there. Like there probably isn't anything. So they probably fly off into space and who knows what happens to them. Yeah. I mean, I think the hope is that the rich people would put their resources and time and, uh, and efforts into thinking about like a larger scale uh, evacuation plan. Like how could they get the most people off of the planet and into safety in such an event? But in reality, when it comes down to it. They just panic and yeah. use the resources to save themselves. Right. <laughs> and I think There's this is that- sort of analogous to kind of the, to what people are talking about now with the, the private space travel with uh, Bezos and Branson and even Elon sure. Musk, uh, you know, using their resources to kind of just, you know, maybe save themselves. Like they talk about how they have, you know, more lofty goals for humanity and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the first people to take these flights yeah. were Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't really matter, you know, uh, what their personal, you know, you know, what their personal ideologies are, is that the forces of capitalism aren't, you know, aren't, aren't really concerned with long term planning. We see it with climate change, which is just kind of kind of a disaster happening on a slower scale. But because, yeah. you know, like multinational corporations aren't just going to have a change of heart and then band together and, you know, to come together to solve climate change, because that's just not like they still have uh investors to report you know to and the market to like their their only purpose is to turn up you know a short-term profit so like the very nature of a fragmented mostly capitalized individualized society isn't well equipped to to deal with anything like this on you know either on a large scale and you know in either the near term or even like a short you know like an extremely short-term crisis like oh there's a photo, there's a photoid coming to destroy our planet. Just going to be every man for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know if it's a counterexample, but you know, the company, the biotech companies did come together to develop a vaccine to COVID like pretty rapidly. And I don't know if they had, you know, more altruistic motives or whatever. I, I guess I initially thought that, that like they're kind of doing it, you know, just for the better humanity. But then I also read that like, the Pfizer company in Germany now makes up like 0.05% of the German economy uh, because of all the money they made for developing the vaccine. So I guess it wasn't so altruistic after all. Yeah, they wouldn't do it out of the kindness of their hearts. Yeah, you know? but it's, um, it's, it seems like if there was a time to kind of, you know, for corporations to do stuff out of the kindness of their hearts, like that would be the time to for the better humanity. Well, but if, if, if the kindness of their hearts, you know, also lines up with a profit motive and now Right. <laughs> and now it's a wonder wonderful PR, you know, move for them because like these drug corporations, Pfizer in particular, have, you know, are terrible in all sorts of ways pre-COVID and you know, <laughs> other but if suddenly humanity I mean it's 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 kind of like how Lucia Shin, you know, uh portrays humanity as being kind of fickle and their minds easily changed. Like is the positive association with the vaccine going to just like paper be such a such a PR boost for Pfizer that people are gonna turn a blind eye to everything else they do from at least for a long time? Probably. But we also have to remember like, you know, the three of us live in the United States where we're getting the vaccine for free. And that's not because biotech is giving Pfizer biotech is giving the vaccine away for free is because the U S government paid for a bunch of vaccines for us. And there's vast inequality around the world of all these different countries, like not having access to the vaccine because they can't afford to just get them. But I think like we, as, as Americans, like we're probably like, yeah, more, more apt to say like, Oh, they're a good company. They're, they're giving the vaccine away for free, but they're not. 
Anyway, let's get back to sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, the next thing I want to talk about is the Bunker Project. I think the Bunker Project is, is a pretty interesting project. And it's interesting in that the it can be accomplished with technology that we currently have, or, you know, that humanity at this point in the book currently has, right? But just at a larger scale. What I thought was funny is like when they did the the scale model test of the bunker project, and like they have like the the, the mo- like the different asteroids that are representing the company. And somebody even painted the giant red spot behind Jupiter, <laughs> and they blow up the 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 hydrogen bombs. It reminded me of like Doc Brown's like elaborate mo- scale models in Back to the Future. <laughs> it was like they didn't really do anything except for look cool, uh, which is kind of and, and I think. And I think during the experiment, everyone kind of understood, you know, that was kind of the point. It's just a, more for PR. Didn't really accomplish anything, but it doesn't remind me of. Yeah, I think it was just to sell the project to humanity. Well, I think, it, yeah, I mean, it kind of also serves as like the story, the sort of inflection point to reintroduce Wade into the story as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that that's the ultimate point. I just thought like, it seems like something humanity would do is like, hey, let's build a scale model and, you know, we'll show people that it works, you know? Yeah, even it's though. probably <laughs> still pretty expensive to do. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like those, like moving those asteroids into place and like <laughs> putting every, put everything you know, lining up to, to put the model, like even though it doesn't yield any real results, like it's just yeah it's just for show basically <laughs> humanity puts forward these three plans uh basically have the bunker project which relies on current technology and then based off of some of the research and ideas that are put forward by the deciphering the fairy tales they come up with the black domain project which is to reduce the speed of light throughout the solar system so we live in sort of like a like a black hole basically they say like it, it should be a safe to live in there because like you know we're without we're we're above the radius, the the Schwarzschild radius, where we wouldn't get sucked in, but it's still weird, uh, and it seems like really really difficult. <laughs> they call it like God engineering, God's engineering plan, because uh, you know, how are you going to reduce light throughout something the size of the solar system? I forgot if they, they uh, covered this detail, but like, where would you place them? Like, it seemed like it would have to be in the center. Like, it would have to be in like the center of like the sun yeah. to not like you know with gravity and like turn, you know, <laughs> turn the sun into a wobbly thing and almost have like a well not a trisolaris but a bisolaris situation going on right um, right but, yeah uh but yeah then if you like how do you put it in the middle of the sun without it i don't know starting to eat the sun <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> yeah this this part was weird to me but i did i did learn a lot about because i'd read in you know magazines that Oh, people, they were able to slow down the speed of light by whatever. And he talks about it, but this was, I like how he explained why that was different from what they're trying to do. So he like actually put it in a science fiction realm using, using current science. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, just the, the sheer enormity of the changing the laws of physics to broadcast that cosmic safety notice, I think that's super interesting, but it's also really confusing. I think that, yeah, all the, all the stuff about black holes and like light speed and like this i think this section of the book gets like super scientific about some of the stuff that he's interested in putting our entire solar system in a black domain seems to be <laughs> in, in that vein and you know i don't fully understand how it actually work in practice and i think no one does right because at the most they're able to just get that one uh stable black hole that was surrounded by the the ship or not the the, the by the city the last uh, part of the the last plan that they come up with is the development of light speed uh, ships that use the curvature propulsion that they kind of thought about based off of the 
when I saw the boat going through the going through the water using the soap. And that's a oft um, used meme on the three body Reddit, by the way. Like the people always post like the a leaf with like ink on it getting pulled, you know, through it or using a boat with soap. Yeah. So it's very it's a very popular meme to, to post on the three body Reddit. But the dangerous part of it is that the the light speed actually leaves a trail behind. You know, it starts as a dot. It kind of travels throughout the path of the the light speed ship. So humanity kind of shuts it down because that would obviously present a way for people to see that we have light speed ships and then just probably attack us with a dark forest. Uh, and that's probably the reason that the Trisolarians they they kind of talk, touch on this, but it was not obvious at the time that the Trisolarians like when they left their planet they didn't use light speed for a while. Uh, until they were like a, a light year away or, or I don't know, I forgot how long it was. But it was, it was like they they went on traditional propulsion for a long time, specifically because they didn't want to give away their location, or that's the theory anyway. They didn't want to give their location away. Given the these three plans, I guess, do you guys have any strong inclinations like which path you would choose um, as, a, as a first approach of like the way for our our civilization to continue past a theoretical dark forest strike? I'd pick the light speed technology that seems to have a lot of other implications and it's just kind of cool. How about you, Tim? Yeah, I feel like you would just want light speed technology, you know, uh, for, for its own sake. I mean, I would do what humanity actually did and explore all of these options. Um, you know, I don't think you have to pick just one. The Black Domain Project seems A, the hardest to achieve um, and, the most, and also kind of the most maybe depressing because... Like, what does that mean? If I'm understanding it, then like, like light does not in the entire radius of this, like light does not behave as it once does and is now slower than it once was. So what does that mean for, you know, communication and computers? And how does that like cast, you know, can you have the level of technology? Yeah. And the black domain is like pretty much like self-mutilation, yeah. right? Like they're, yeah, I think things wouldn't work the way that we expect them. You know, a lot of things are built around like the speed of light. Right. Yeah. And so like if that is reduced to a crawl, then a lot of things aren't going to work the way that the they had. And we're going to kind of go back to more of a, an agrarian yeah. society. Right. Yeah. Or well, it would be that I mean, that, that would be something that would be interesting to explore in a whole book unto itself, you know, or um, yeah. like on a macro scale or a larger scale, it would obviously be problematic because like information wouldn't move as fast in this, you know, even if you're slowing it down, it's still pretty fast. So like you know, your communication systems or your computer, like, I mean, I, I guess, especially like computers wouldn't be as fast, but would they still be useful? You know, obviously you could still, you know, communicate and broadcast images and, and sound. Uh, it would just, I don't know, maybe it would all, maybe you would, maybe all your entire media networks would just be small bubbles, like limited to cities where, you know, within that city it would still be workable. You probably just couldn't crunch numbers or have computers as fast as you, you know, ever want them to be. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like, you know, back in the, back in the day, we used sound waves to connect to networks with modems, right? right? They just use telephone lines to, yeah, which is much to basically sound waves. So we, but now everything is fiber optic cable. So we're basically going, we would, you know, this is a small section of history, yeah. but like, if you think about like those times 20 years ago or whatever it was, I, I think it'd be extremely painful to, just in the matter of like information technology to go back to, you know, such, such slow speed. Uh, and it would, you know, the world would be much different for it. A lot of people pine for those days where, you know, we weren't so overloaded by technology and like information that's so accessible. I am not of that camp. <laughs> but are you nostalgic for the old dial-up BBS days, Dan? 
<laughs> but I love checking them out now much faster. <laughs> we can pass images and videos around. So like, it was cool because it was novel, but like, I wouldn't want to go back to those days of, you know, slow transfer speeds. Well, I mean, it would, I mean, it would affect electricity too. It would affect turn of the century, you know, turn of the 19th century, you know, uh, you know, technology and I don't know. Do you turn your turn on your light bulb, but do you have to wait for it to turn up? You know. Uh, yeah, you have to wait for the light to come out. <laughs> yeah. Or is it still fa- again? You know, like you could reduce. You know, lights pretty fast. You could reduce it to you know ten percent of its total light, and it'd still be pretty fast. You know, by human perception. So maybe yeah. it wouldn't be so bad. You'd just like be perpetually in like a nineteen twenties level of technology. I don't know. You'd just be perpetually steampunk, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> have lights and this or that, but it'd be too... So now you're selling the steampunk audience on yeah. this idea. But yeah, I mean, this whole black domain part, you know, like, I, I don't know if this uh, comes into play in the rest of this, you know, rest, rest of the book yet. It's kind of another example of, I think he just wants to, like, Lucia Shin wants to shove every scientific idea and concept that he ever, you know... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> dreamed of into this series and i know at this point it seems like it's going nowhere uh so do you mean the black domain project or the story the black domain project oh well the story is another get to that when we get to the end of this but it's okay. a weird place to me as well but um but yeah i mean i mean to your original question I, I don't see any reason not to at least explore all three of these things you know like the bunker project will obviously buy you some time um and it seems like they've uh at least created some pretty cool cities man you know like it doesn't yeah. seem like a terrible existence you know so you, you weren't persuaded by the the arguments against lightspeed like you would try, you would try to probably press on despite the classist elements and and the and the potential like uh broadcasting of our well no i'm divorcing the light speed tech you know like from if you could do you know there's nothing wrong with the technology in itself and if you could do mm. it that doesn't you know in a way that doesn't endanger humanity and the classist uh, aspect is more of a it's more of the fault of capitalism rather than light speed technology itself i would think yeah. humanity would at least want want the option to you know, at least be able to make an escape if they needed to. But again, if it's impossible to develop it without creating too many uh, signals, then yeah, I suppose. I suppose it's very dangerous. Uh, yeah. So for myself personally, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here um, before, but my opinion would be, yeah, definitely go after the light speed and yeah, think about ways to make that safer, you know, either uh, you move the acceleration outside of a detectable system, a detectable range or the presumed detectable range, if they could, limiting ourselves to staying in a bubble is not going to be long-term sustainable for our race. Like we need to leave the system, and you know the you know as close as like Trisolaris is, like we probably could get there. I mean, it, it was like what four light years away, right? And it took four hundred years for them. So like ours, and you know, we've already seen people leave the solar system, um, but they were kind of demonized for for doing it. Uh, for, you know, for escapism and for the the stuff that happened during the battle of darkness and that kind of stuff. But I think that's kind of the long-term survival plan for our species is to leave our solar system and you know, explore the, the universe more. That's the only way that our race is going to survive. So the way forward to that, I think is, is light speed chips. Um, so the, the risk is high, but the reward is, is much, much higher, I think. And it, to me, it seems like the bunker project is kind of a short-term solution, you know, like maybe just a means to the immediate threat of the photoid attack. And the, I think the black domain project is, you know, 
killing ourselves. <laughs> uh, you know, like AA and Chengqing both say they don't like it, uh, and Wade too, uh, because it's you know, kind of self mutilating our, our our society uh, or our, our race. Because you know, we would never be able to leave, and no one would ever be able to come in, so we wouldn't be able to further explore the the galaxy because of it. Seems like we'd buy ourselves a lot of time with the Butt Bunker Project, though. Like, I mean, it seems like we've like the bunker project rep, you know represents humanity kind of like learning to like humanity has basically decoupled itself from reliance on the sun's energy to survive like in the you know, yeah so um you know we've learned to create our own suns we've learned to uh process water off of europa and like use the resource you know process the resources that exist out in space from other planets and you know asteroids and uh like it seems like it's like the base it's it seems like it you know established like the baseline like survival like you know practices we would need so it seems like it's a necessary thing like it seems like we need some sort of you know combination of the bunker project and the light speeds you know space flight you know i i don't see any, you know if there was no uh i mean at least by the accounts that are presented in the book it seems like we could survive for a pretty long time because we've like learned basically learned to live off the land or in this case space um, without reliance on a soul you know star so and yeah during the bunker project we developed some pretty cool technology so they developed the circumsolar particle accelerator which is able to create black holes and as an aside anti-mantar but that's <laughs> that was kind of done in secret um and then they had the the project of of taking that black hole and injecting it into a planet and kind of just you know, researching it and so uh, i think that's that was a side story I, I don't know what your guys feeling on that side story was but i thought it was pretty interesting it didn't i guess like it led more color to the world in that it kind of talked about like how we would kind of process like such how we would deal with like such a an enormous uh, technical uh, scientific challenge to actually observe and monitor a black hole, and then you know one scientist's kind of obsession with it, and I, the 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 part where they talked about the the insurance company denying his life insurance when he fell into the black hole because it wasn't actually dead probably, but more stuck in our frame of reference uh, reminded me of Memento where the, they always like look for ways to, for insurance companies look to deny people's claims. So it's good that, that the, you know, insurance company is still screwing over people is still a thing. And, you know, a couple hundred yeah. years in the future. <laughs> yeah. It's good. But yeah. I don't see necessarily like, un unless, uh, unless the orbits, you know, like, of Jupiter and Saturn and all that, like collapse into the, the remaining nebula or whatever, you know, like, mm. um, you know, why couldn't we serve if there was no more, uh, you know, dark forest strikes occurring and we've learned to, you know, like live without the sun and not be reliant on the sun. Like that seems like best, like, like hope for humanity's long-term you know, survival. Um, but, mm. uh, but I forget whether, uh, uh, it was whether it was cited whether like if the sun did blow up and obviously the inner planets are destroyed, is there enough mass that you know would would there still be enough enough mass contained in, you know in the center of the solar system to keep uh, the outer planets in their in their orbits? Oh yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I think at that point, like the the immediate threat of the sun blowing up is like what they're protecting themselves from, and then sure. those base cities could then go out and do whatever they, you know, they don't need to stay behind Jupiter at that point. Like they probably need to stay close to some, sure, yeah. some body that has water that they could harvest, but 
Yeah. That doesn't necessarily have to be Jupiter. And they, they're always making costume adjustments anyway. Yeah. So I, that's a question for, for both of you. Like, did you guys uh, like the, the, the kind of aside about Galway and the, the black hole and, you know, how that, that story played out? Because, like, I can see it, like, not having a direct impact on the story. But I really, I mean, I'm into black holes in general. Like, I'm, I watch a lot of YouTube videos or whatever on them because I think they're fascinating uh, as just a scientific construct and, you know, kind of. The, this was on a smaller scale, I guess, and like and, uh, someone actually like falling into one and being obsessed with it. I I I really like that story. Um, how did you guys think of it? I liked it. I thought it was a really good way to do world building without relying on exposition the way he usually does. Yeah, I liked it. Um, it's uh, a, a, again, yeah, it has no real bearing like on the you know the overall plot, at least as far as I can tell. Um, not you know, having finished it, but um, but it was you know a, a neat. Uh, a neat side story and again like i just you know think that lucia shin can't resist you know um <laughs> creating creating a little side story just to explore every astrophysics cool cool astrophysics thing he's ever learned so yeah who couldn't resist like us like a building a city around a black hole like that's that's an awesome story <laughs> or like why well, I, I was more most interested in the details about how he might maybe wasn't killed by them and is just perpetually existing in the black hole um right <laughs> and that it didn't it, like his, his getting sucked into the black hole didn't happen in the way we uh you know traditionally understand is that he you know would i don't know just get not disintegrated but just like stretched into you know a, a line and just sucked into the like yeah well I mean, I mean i think he's just kind of like touching on like the mysteriousness of like we have actually no idea what goes on in black holes and uh are they what the hell are they and uh what goes on inside of them yeah i thought that the point where like they talk about how the even though like the small moon of jupiter collapsed it still has like not much gravity and the black hole also wouldn't have that much uh actual gravity it's just more that like the light can escape from it so maybe he would be okay i mean obviously he wouldn't be able to eat or <laughs> probably survive, you know, floating around and or probably wouldn't have air, right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, that probably wouldn't be good for him. But the fact that, like, you potentially could live inside of a black hole is maybe interesting in, in, when we talk about the reduced light speed black holes. So maybe it is possible for us to live in such an environment where, you know, in the black hole, if if we had sustenance in there. Well, yeah, we have no, I you know, it's. It, I think it goes back to we have no idea what the inner structure of a black hole is. We know it's like right. collapsing, but like, is the you know, like, is is the matter inside of a black hole just a bunch of, you know, atoms or proton, you know, just all like stuck together, um, or are they, you know, is there their structure as far as uh, like the molecular structure of you know. A, of any given substance and all that, is that still intact? Like, is a CO2 molecule still a CO2 molecule inside of a black hole? Or is it, yeah. are all of those, you know, um, forces ripped apart? And like, what what is the actual matter in a black hole? Yeah, and it's impossible to know, right? Because like, you can't send information outside of it. Right. <laughs> so there's no, unless you actually enter it, there's no way to actually know what happens. Yeah, it's very, and you know, not to mention all of, like the time dilation and that kind of stuff that happens inside of a, a black hole. Right. That's yeah, why a lot of the like fanciful, you know, or like maybe less sci less hard sci-fi sci-fi around black holes involves like people going into them and then like discovering there's a whole other universe or something inside of them. And... Yeah, just like Interstellar. Yeah, I thought that was the best part of it. Like, I love I love all that stuff. Yeah, like when when they get stuck on the planet and they lose like however many years, right? Like the the water planet, like that, and like 
yeah, I mean, that stuff is, was all great. I have to rewatch that movie because I've lost, I, I don't remember a lot of the details of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, I think it would be a good movie to watch, you know, and, you know, we've brought it up how, you know, a lot of times on this show, <laughs> um, you know, as, as a good analogy to, to the series. So I think it would be go back, it would be good to go back and, and watch it. Yeah. I probably will do the same. Okay, well, let's move on to probably the most consequential part of this part of this book is the relationship between Changxin and Wade. Um, so we start with Changxin giving her company to Wade because Wade tells her that he wants to develop Lightseed's ship and she doesn't have the temperament to do it. And she agrees, but says, oh, well, if you're going to endanger humanity, then you need to give the company back to me. So does this motivation make sense to you? Mm, kind of. I don't know. This this whole section, yeah, like the, the motivations on both sides seem a little like contrived to me. Like I, I, I had a hard time, you know, she knows who Wade is. He tried to kill her and all that, you know, like why so quickly she would just agree to hand over and why to him, you know, specifically, like if he, if she wanted to like go into hibernation and have her company though, you know, continue on, surely she might've like put some effort into finding someone else or some other group and all that to take over the operations of it rather than like, you know, just giving it over to him, like at, at his request. Uh, it just yeah. like this whole, you know, arc, like both like, like started and was resolved like a little too quickly for me. You know, why would she trust him given, you know, his, his history? Why would he, after all of this effort, just also just keep his promise? Why would you expect someone like that to keep their promise like he's this his whole character you know is that he's as ruthless as he needs to be so why in this one last you know uh, uh moment does he i don't know, I, I don't see where the character you know like the character development there or like what what his character turn is there that would uh like lead him to you know keep his promise and and conform to her wishes yeah i mean i'll, I'll agree with that uh, I do see like her and like, I think she was initially suspicious. I, th I think the beginning part of it was, I mean, it's a, it's a surprise for sure. But like thinking back on it, I think, you know, she, she sees the current era people like probably not also having the, the ability to kind of carry out such a project uh, that the, where, where she was at the time. And she put her faith more in the common era people and she had seen his him his determination now he kind of he pushed the staircase uh, program forward you know kind of singularly um you know through all the challenges that it encountered so she really doesn't like the the black domain project and she you know her NAA both really like the or really think that the lightspeed travel is, is is the path forward but she's obviously concerned about his means to do that I'm surprised that Wade kept his word at the end, um, you know, after he had put effectively developed curvature propulsion, he doesn't know how long it's going to take to actually implement, but, uh, and then he, he created a whole military force uh, and was ready to kind of, he, you know, it seemed like it was more of a, a threat than actually, than actually something he would actually implement. Like he probably wouldn't go and blow up space cities, but he probably also would like, who knows, right? Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I think like Tim was saying, like, I don't fully get why he wouldn't just say like, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, they didn't, they didn't put a lot of effort into making him show how honorable he was and how, how much he was of, you know, keeping his word. Like, I don't think there's any other time that they really show that. So it is like, it is a little surprising that, you know, he, 
when given the choice of like proceeding at at all costs uh, on his, in his in his research, and then also, uh, you know, keeping his word that he he chose the the latter there. Yeah, there are character turns that just seem a little too convenient to me, you know, or at, yeah. at least the whole notion of the promise. Like, I I could see like it would make more sense of me if if actually if like Cheng Xin like you know when she handed over the company to like just kind of gave up. Like didn't make him, you know, you know, like didn't force this or or didn't expect him to keep this promise, you know. Uh I don't think she did. I mean, like she okay. says, like she yeah, she did didn't really expect him to, to do it. And she was also kind of surprised that he did. No, that's true. That's that yeah, that's a detail that I forgot. Like she yeah, she was not expecting that. So like it makes uh, it makes her motivation uh, you know make a little bit more sense given that like it seemed like okay okay she does understand who she's giving this over to and she's just kind of checked out yeah i think she she thinks like it's like the only hope really like she she knows that it needs someone like him to actually like go against public sentiment and develop light speed technology because yeah people at this point have already turned on it but she thinks it's important enough to you know for the sustainment of the of humanity to continue at it. And she thinks that he's the only one who can do it. So I'll say like, this is, and her choice of shutting, I mean, ultimately it's her choice of shutting down lightspeed research. And this is also like the second big controversy about Chongqing that is, that's always talked about online uh, in the forums that I read, you know, so the combination of her giving up on her sword holder uh, duty, plus the giving up on lightspeed technology here, just because, I mean, I would say just because, but because of, the the fact that you know there is a big danger you know they could employ antimatter uh, weapons and kill millions and millions and millions of people uh, if they just destroy these these cities so yeah the, the, those two things are are very controversial and you know it's a reason like a lot of people don't like Chongqing is because she makes she keeps making these, these kind of decisions I don't know if she's actually making decisions her whole default is to just let things happen until the final moment when she decides to say no and stop any change from occurring at all I know she puts all of this in well I mean you know she puts the you know, she puts the whole light speed development in motion by giving it, you know, over to, to, to Wade. And then, you know, with that, you know, with that understanding that we do, you know, need to develop light speed technology and then just at the end, just kind of decides against it, you know, like just got no follow through. Well, I think like she's, I mean, to me, the, her motivation here is that the, the means are, don't justify the ends here. Like the means of killing millions of people uh, in a potential war. You know, like she sees like those, those, or she hears about the soldier station on each space city with like a, a gun with, with an antimatter bullet and thinks like, well, Wade would be ruthless enough to kill millions of people just to, to continue on his research and, and not, not care. So like, that's. It's true, but like, they're already gambling with humanity's survival by uh, pursuing light speed in the first place. That's the whole reason why it's controversial, you know, whether they're dooming humanity through light speed, like why does she care so much about, uh, you know, Wade's kind of, you know, extreme measures here, um, you know, that jeopardize even when they're already like kind of past that point, you know, they're already jeopardizing humanity by pursuing light speed in the first place. It seems like a weird line to draw when you've already, when she's already made the decision to pursue light speed, know, you know, knowing what the risk is there. Maybe it's like just not such an immediate risk, you know, like it seems like more of a theoretical risk, you know, if we can maybe develop light speed and, and, and only like activate it in a safe distance from the, the planet, like where you have this theoretical risk in the, 
you know, from lightspeed research raises the immediate risk of people actually like millions of people getting killed, you know, because of Wade actually like destroying the space cities as, you know, to show his power and to make the, make the Federation back off. Right. I like this whole part, like, in, you know, even though it's like over very quickly, I feel like this whole like conflict and this sort of, you know, this, you know, between Halo group, like it reminds me of the expanse in some way, you know, and that mm. like, there's this kind of, like, I feel like you could have like had a whole series or had a whole book just kind of like set around this like conflict and, you know, the situation between the Halo group and the cities and this as like, you know, a setting you could just like write spinoff novels about here. So yeah, like, yeah, like I said, proto molecule instead of antimatter. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we're nearing the end. You know, nearing the end of the story, and there's not enough time to really explore that. So it just feels a little weird that it's just kind of like set up and and then resolved so quickly. One thing I thought was weird about this part was that Wade got the death sentence. It seems this far in the future that there should be different types of punishment besides killing someone. Um, I know there's a lot of countries now that don't have death penalty. I know that there are some that still do. But I also understand that they needed to have some closure on Wade so people wouldn't be wondering if he was going to escape from some other dimension and come back and be Wade again. So I understand why it happened this way, but it just seems from a sociological perspective that this is something that could have been explored differently than it was. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, you know, he, they talk about, he is, they, they accuse him and try him and convict him of crimes against humanity. Right. And so what can you do? And obviously, you know, he's already been convicted and stuck in prison for a while and it's not going to work, but I wonder like how frequent this is, right? Like, is it extreme, extreme case where, you know, he's like the only person in, you know, centuries to get the death penalty. I don't think they talked about any of the the members of of uh, the Bronze Age getting death penalty. They got convicted. I did like that he didn't go into excruciating detail describing how Wade died. It was just one sentence that, yep, he was vaporized and that's that. Sounds pretty humane, at least, you know, at least more humane than, you know, injection. Just, just gone like that. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe he's a case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe he's a case where, you know, like, because he had like a following and all that too, you know, he was That's a true. cult of personality, like his, whether he's in prison, he's still dangerous. There's the chance that there's, you know, a follower out there that still has an antimatter bullet, you know, um, yeah. you know, and wants to break him out or something like that, you know, like he just, his presence, you know, or they could just say, okay, we did, you know, if they want to be truly humane about it, they say, okay, yeah, we did kill him and then just like keep him in a secret prison. He's already what, like 150 years old? He's like 110. And they, but they said that people live till 150 now. Yeah. Yeah. They should just throw him in the black hole. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that should be that should be the yeah, new death penalty. Yeah, no, at least at least give him a chance. You know, at least, <laughs> at least as a one last fairy, you get to see what's in a black. You know, in case there's something there. You know, yeah, you're not gonna be of uh, danger to anybody anymore. And, yeah, oh oh one percent chance to you know live on in the the universe inside of that black hole. And they're not technically killing him, right? Yeah, like, no. <laughs> well, yeah, just like it's not technically insurance. Yeah, they're not technically. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a good loophole. Yeah, just get rid of them forever by throwing people in the black holes. Right. Yeah, see, we figured it out. You th you think Lucia Shin would have figured that out? Yeah, really. All right. Well, we're almost done with this book. We only have two more parts to go. Hopefully, you guys are excited. Um, what did you guys think of this this section overall? 
I mean, it's kind of we're building in in a way, but I think a lot of plot also happens in this in this section. Um, and you know, like Tim mentioned, a lot of the scientific flourishes and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I thought there was a lot of good stuff that was in here and like set up millions of times. But I love this whole book, and it only you know gets gets better from here. I think. I didn't think a lot actually happened in this part plot wise, but I did like some of the world building stuff. So I, I'm glad I read it. Yeah, it's uh, it, right now it, it it's ended. You know, this this section ends in a strange place to you know for me because it feels like so much has been resolved and we don't you know like the Tristolarans are gone, Wade is gone. There's there's a lot happen a lot happens here in a you know very short amount of time relatively and it doesn't feel like there's much plot left other than to mm. like is a dark forest strike going to happen so i'm you know I'm, I'm i'm curious you know as to what the you know what these final you know two sections or you know this final i think we're exactly at 75 percent of the way through the book you know this final quarter of the book actually contains because i don't know again like a lot of the way this series is gone, like it, it's still, you know, slightly disappointing to me that we never got to like meet a Trisolaran in a, like in the flesh. I don't know if they have mm. flesh, like, you know, <laughs> it's just very weird to me that the Trisol that as this are just gone, seem to be gone now. And after being the kind of like, I don't know, the thing pulling me along through the, you know, this, you know, the last, you know, two and a half books, like, I, I don't know how this wraps up. Like it's just in such a weird place said there's, yeah. there's, there's there's just no like outstanding real like mysteries that i can feel like or well there's simultaneously like too many mysteries that can you know that seem to be difficult to wrap up in remaining quarter of a book and then there's and then there's like two like there, but there's like too little plot left again other mm -hmm. than the other than the question of whether a dark forest strike happened so would you like to see that the actual like if there was a dark forest strike and the you know what happens uh like what what is the actual like result of that well yeah i mean i get like again so this again that's just, that's a, the only real question left for me um mm. you know unless you know unless he decides to like you know we obviously like learned about the you know the fourth dimension beings and does that all come back into play does the you know i guess i guess does the the black domain like why did we explore all of that you know if that doesn't come come back into play in some way um so yeah i guess there's a few more questions for me here but uh how it all ties together is is a big mystery because like all of the character drama and all of the interspecies drama you know seems to have been resolved now so mm -hmm. like big question tim's asking a lot of great questions we should answer on the spoiler cast dan <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim, you did ask a lot of good questions, and those will all be answered in some way or another, hopefully in a way that you consider to be <laughs> uh, illuminating or entertaining, what have you. But yeah, we only have two more episodes to go. So thank you very much for listening. And please check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, pronunciation guides, and all the other stuff we put on there. And please leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at RehydratePod. And join us next time for Season 5, Episode 6, Singer, covering Part 5 of Death's End by Leo Sashin.